0: Thank you for downloading our podcast. We are tempted to pursue a more tangible religion. We can fall into a trap and think we need more than Christ. But Hebrews assures us that Christ is all we need. Join us as we study Hebrews to learn more about the great Melchizedekian priest who presides in heaven. Going through this text and the context of What the author of Hebrews is citing, and again reading Psalms 93 to 100, it's another beneficial thing to do, seeing that progression that's going on in the Psalms. So if you're looking for something to read this week, uh, 93 through 100 really doesn't take that long to read, and it is interesting to see how it begins with kingship and ends with assembling before the king. And so when you think about the context of these Psalms, and you think about what it was like for Israel crying out for 400 some years. I mean, imagine that. Crying out 400 years, generation after generation, having your parents instruct you and saying, listen, one day God's going to come for us and he's going to redeem us and his mighty hand will be shown. You can understand where one would be tempted to be rather cynical and saying it's been 400 years. When does this come to pass? But then you imagine that one day when the tenth plague goes forth and they have Passover and Israel actually leaves the land of Egypt and that the Lord shows his mighty hand. And as you study the history of this and and you read of Israel in the context of the Red Sea and how Israel falls into immediate panic, because there they are. There's a great sea in front of them. They can only see water. And there is an army pressing behind them that is seeking to kill them. So it seems the only two options that really is presented before Israel is do you drown in the sea and potentially not experience the hand of the Egyptian army? Or do you turn around, try and fight and experience certain death? So either way, It's death. It's just a a question of which way do you really want to die? Those seem to be the only two options. As Israel cries out to Moses, did you bring us out here just to die? And one wonders what it must have been like as you're crying out in a state of panic, wondering what your fate's going to be, what type of death you're going to face, Then all of a sudden Moses lifts his hand and right before you, you see the sea open up and there's a clear passageway. And as we read in Corinthians, we read in the Exodus account that they pass through the sea on dry ground. Can you imagine what that must be like? Walking between the two bodies of water. One of the closest experiences I've ever had is going to SeaWorld and going into the Shark Tank and having the sharks swim all around you, and you're completely dry. It's something along those lines, but I can assure you, far more dramatic than that experience. They pass through the sea, they get to the other side, Moses lowers his staff, and all of a sudden the Egyptians are swallowed up. A great victory by God himself. And if you think of that as being basically your origin story as a community, so that's really the origin story of national Israel, having that great event define them. You would think that clearly everything else in life is easy. Because you think back, isn't this the God who brought us through the sea? Isn't this a God in our history who has crushed the Egyptian army? But if you're familiar with Israel's history, that's not how history unfolds. They do not trust always that the Lord is their shield and defender. Even though we have a clear picture there of the Lord passing before Israel and the pillar of fire and the angel of the Lord going behind them. That there is no power that's going to overpower them. The picture is God is walking in Israel as a little child passing between God's legs in the full protection of their mighty king. But yet Israel complains. They fall away in the wilderness experience. And so when we set the context of Hebrews in light of that narrative and that story, we can wonder why is it that the people of God struggle so much with this? Abraham, the Lord says, I'm a shield and defender. What does Abraham do? He goes and tries to bring about the promise, lies about his wife two times to protect her. Why do we struggle so much with this? And is this just some Old Testament problem? Well, as we look at the book of Hebrews, we find that we too can be like Israel. And we find that their struggle and their experience in the wilderness is also a struggle we experience. So what is the fundamental problem here? Well, as we consider this, we'll see first the past warning that Hebrews is doing. And then the present warning and and how he applies uh, this past history. And so let's begin with what we find in verse 7. A reminder of therefore. So the therefore, as I've mentioned before, it's set in the context of the passage. And we have just heard of a contrast between Moses and Christ. Remember, Moses is a servant in the house, faithful, does his task, But he is not over the house. He's not the builder of the house. And so Hebrews wasn't in any way deprecating or or minimizing the significance of Moses. He's just saying Moses is a man called by God legitimately, brings the word of God legitimately, speaks face to face with God, and brings the word of God. But he is not Christ. And so the, the reminder there is that the words of Moses have teeth. There's, there's authority. There's, there's truth because it's God who is speaking through his prophet. So now in this, therefore, we have the author of Hebrews calling to our attention a, a particular application here. And he doesn't say, therefore, as David says. No, notice how he cites this. Again, this is where... I would argue that this is a Jewish synagogue that's tempted to fall away, potentially in the midst of persecution, as the exhortation goes on. And so they would understand these, this reference here and know what psalm is being cited. But he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. So the author wants us to understand not the significance of Moses, not the significance of David, But he wants us to understand the significance of who's truly speaking in the Scriptures. These are not just Moses' words. As if Moses has a preference or thinks, well, this would be edifying to say, or, or this might be beneficial. No, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through Moses. It's not David thinking about what would be edifying or just encouraging for God's people. But it's the Holy Spirit speaking through David. And so when the author of Hebrews cites this, he's saying, listen, Holy Spirit spoke back then. Holy Spirit speaking right now. And so you have to understand these are not optional words. We, we can't go through the scriptures and say, well, I like that, but I don't like this. I, I, I like the part of God's redemption. I just don't like the part about my sin. Uh, so we can cut that out. The reality is the Holy Spirit, God himself, is revealing How he interacts with his people. And he cites this particular time and this particular vulnerability with Israel. And as he's citing this time, he's speaking of a time in the wilderness, as we find in the day of the rebellion, the testing in the wilderness. So we're kind of skipping through this a little bit. But as the author of Hebrews writes this, he wants us to understand we find ourselves in this time. And so we can say, well, Israel had a problem, but I don't. The author of Hebrews is saying, listen to the pattern of covenant history. Not only the pattern of God ruthlessly pursuing his people no matter what. I mean, what a wonderful thing hearing the promises of his steadfast love that God always comes to his people, pursues his people, and brings his people into his rest. But there's also a flip side in in the call for us in our consciousness To pursue our God. And to understand that in this time of covenant history, we are in the time of wilderness. We're not in a time of victory. We're not in a time of of rest, in the sense of where we walk into the glory of heaven. But we are in a time of testing. And so the author of Hebrews is not saying this is something where we have to be down about our experience and say, oh man, there's no hope. But it's a call for us to understand the reality and the concern that we can fall away. We can drift away from our God. And so, when the author of Hebrews cites this from the Holy Spirit and applies this to us, this isn't again just one man's opinion. is a man who writes or preaches, <clears throat> preaches a sermon by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I think it's important. It's not David says or it's not Moses says. It's the Holy Spirit. So he wants us to understand this comes with, with authority. Now in the citation here, as we've already called attention to the wilderness, the citation of the psalm is from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. We sang the psalm as our song preparation or uh, these verses. Uh, we find also that this psalm, Is in the context of Psalms, as I mentioned, Psalm 93 through Psalm 100. Psalm 93, in the context here, begins with just the glorious kingship of God, a praise of God, who He is, and His majesty. Psalm 94 goes into sort of the frustration of this age. See the wicked, they prosper. Uh, We find that the Lord disciplines His children. Uh, which tells us that we haven't arrived at perfection, that God's fatherly hand continues to prod us and work within us. Psalm 94, setting the context of this, celebrates God's ultimate justice. Psalm 95 calls to our attention with a lot of echoes and projections to Psalm 100 of the assurance of God being faithful, calling His people, and then the exhortation not to fall away, recalling history, and then Psalm 100 is that glorious picture of entering into the Lord's rest, into his His temple, into his city, and praising our God face to face. And so it's that movement of talking about the kingship of God to the ultimate experience and presence of entering into his kingship is how these psalms move. Psalm 95 being the centerpiece of this is very important. Because Psalm 95 is a psalm that begins with, with God's shepherding hand. But it goes on with this exhortation that is cited. He doesn't talk about the shepherding part of God. If you're familiar with the psalm, you say, God's a shepherd, he's faithful. He moves right to the exhortation, the application, the concern of that psalm. And the concern of this psalm calls for our, to our attention a few events in terms of Israel's history being condensed here. We have Exodus 17, where we have quarreling. uh, Quarrel, striving, contention, which is what Meribah means. And so Israel quarrels and, 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 and contends with God and desires for God to prove himself. Remember, we started with the Red Sea crossing. I mean, if that's not proof of God's ability to defend his people, I don't know what is. And it's a very visible, tangible reality. It's just a few chapters after that. We have Israel quarreling about water in Exodus 17. Another event that's called to our attention is where we have Numbers 20. And where we have the waters of Meribah. And again, I don't believe that Numbers 20 is another retelling of Exodus 17. And the reason for that is because in Numbers 20, we have even Moses, the faithful servant, who is not faithful enough to enter into the land. And so there we we have this problem of of the story that's recalled where Moses strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. We may say, well, what's the big deal of striking the rock? I mean, he's angry, the people are contentious, maybe he was tired, um, and he just lost his patience and and just gave in to anger. The problem with Moses striking the rock is how do the Psalms describe God? He is our rock. He is our bulwark. He's the one who stands against all the storms, right? We have the Apostle Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3, and that rock was Christ. And so for Moses to strike the rock, this is a big deal. Because it's Moses disciplining God. And so Moses, the prophet, faithful servant, should also be submitting to God and doing his job of speaking the word rather than disciplining God. And so we we have this problem. It's not just Israel demanding that God prove who he is. We have even Moses the prophet, angry that God does not prove who he is on Moses' terms. Another event that's called to our attention that ends up with a reminder of where the Israelites are, that they shall not enter my rest. They are those who lie dead in the wilderness. Is the story of Numbers 14. And this is a tragic story, where Israel sends the spies into the land, and as they go into the land, they say, oh, we'll never take these people, God's not strong enough, never mind the fact that he swallowed the Egyptian army whole in the sea, there's no way that if God goes before us, that, that we're going to fight these people of the land, and we're going to be victorious. And so in Numbers 14, you have Joshua and Caleb saying, No! God is with us. We can fight. God is on our side. We will be victorious and we will prevail. And I like say, no, no, no. And so the Lord then loses his patience with his people. And he says, these people will not enter my rest. They will die in the wilderness because they're always contending with me. In other words, they live up to their name as those who are always wrestling, always wrestling, always contending with God. And so they die in the wilderness. So right here, we, we have this call for us to think about the seriousness of this. And fathers, put God to the test. This doesn't end well. It's important to understand what putting God to the test means. It means you're demanding God prove who he is. It is very much the, the usurping of God's authority of saying, I am God, you will be my servant. I am going to dictate what it takes for you to prove you're really God and you will do so. Well, the author of Hebrews is saying we can fall into this as human beings and we need to be aware of this. We need to understand our place. We are the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 93 going to Psalm 100. We are those who will be invited and led into his holy city. We do not conquer this holy city. We do not do this in our strength. We only do this in his power. So the author of Hebrews is saying, don't rest in some identity. Don't rest in something you think that that makes you significant in and of yourself. We find a historic precedent that the very people God redeemed out of Egypt died in the wilderness because they continually Demanded that God would prove who he is. So we hear that and we say, okay, we understand this warning. And and we understand we're we're prone to doing this. So where is our hope? And this is where we move to the present uh, warning and the present application of this. Then when we have the author of Hebrews say, take care, brothers. You see, not all is lost. He's not writing this to a paper. He's saying, here's a message. You're going to drop dead in the wilderness. You will die accursed of God. He's saying, Be, pay attention. Beware of this reality. We've heard about drifting, where you slowly drift away and miss the port. And, and how do we do that? By losing sight of Christ. But not understanding who our great Melchizedekian priest is. And by now demanding... This is how redemption is going to look. This is what it's going to look like for me to serve you. No. (laughs) The author of Hebrews is saying it's the other way around. God's saying, I'm coming to you. This is what redemption looks like. This is what it looks like to serve me. You see, that's the problem of what Israel was doing. But as we, we hear this, we find that as they do not enter the land, we know that we are also a struggling people. Because notice what we have. We have to be careful. Why? We have an unbelieving heart. Fall away from the living God. In other words, the exhortation is we, we have to be aware that we can think, no, I, I got this dialed. I, I'm from a long line of people. I understand these things. I, I, I've been taught these things. I, I have the, the right doctrine. Another of Hebrews is saying you need to take hold and believe your God. You need to take hold of Christ. He needs to be the anchor point in terms of this wilderness. You always have to turn back and look to Christ. That's where this starts. You have to understand this. Now, as he goes on, what does he tell us? We have come, for if we have come, to share in Christ. And so the substance of this redemption, as Hebrews has told us, is Christ. He is the incarnate Word of God. He is the embodiment of His promises. So the author of Hebrews is saying, don't go back to those prototypes, to those models, to those things that prefigure what this is going to look like. Understand you have been redeemed in Christ. As we're redeemed in Christ, we take on the yoke of Christ. We we want to live out of gratitude for Christ. We want to discern what Christ would want us to do for his honor and glory as he has breathed new life into us. We don't do this perfectly. We struggle. But this is where we also have to understand the application of this. If we step back, we have that warning, take care, don't fall away, exhort one another every day as long as it's today, don't be hardened by your own deceitfulness of sin. And so this tells us that the nature of this wilderness sojourn isn't always so easy. That's one of the things about Christianity. It's not always easy to discern what is pleasing unto the Lord. But yet, nevertheless, this is where we are exhorted to live. And so the author of Hebrews is reminding us that our own unbelief can interfere with who God is. We can doubt that our Lord really is a shield and defender. We can doubt that Christ really has done enough. We can doubt That our Lord really is powerful enough to see us through whatever particular season we're in, in life. And the author of Hebrews is saying, do not allow those thoughts to enter into your minds. Do not dwell on those things. Your God is a faithful Savior. We have to continually believe that. He is a faithful Savior. We are those who can be self-deceived. We need to see what we're trusting in the place of God. We need to see where our minds are going apart from who we are in Christ, and we need to be locked on the very object of our faith and our redemption. And so when we hear this, we have this this exhortation, you know, in verse 14 if we hold our confidence until the end. Now it makes a reference back to Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in. The rebellion. So, this is telling us what can interfere with our own confidence. We can give in to our own cynicism. We can give in to our own doubts. We can question whether or not Christ is really enough, whether God is really able to redeem us. There's a variety of ways that that this can impact us. We can get to a place where maybe we heed uh, satanic temptations of thinking, well, I'm too broken or I'm too sinful to be redeemed. Christ can't redeem me. Something else has to happen. So in that sense, we can lose confidence of the absolute certainty of Christ's work. We might be like the Pharisees. That's another way we can see this in the opposite extreme of having so much confidence in our moral rigor and in our own personal ability that we send Christ to the cross. We don't need him. We're fine on our own. And so that's another way we can fall away. But either way, we are saying basically the same thing. God, Christ, is not enough. I need something else. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, as you're tempted to go back to this Old Testament worship, as you're tempted to go back to those Old Testament tangible things, Did that keep Israel from rebelling? Well, no. Psalm 95, in the midst of these glorious psalms of moving to being in the presence of God, they rebelled. It's recalled, or it's called to our attention. It's recalled in that psalm, Psalm 95. They knew who their God was. Going on then, as we hear this exhortation for us, that as he goes on and he uses this means of calling us, they heard, they left Egypt, they were led by Moses, right? So we're going on, we're seeing this, they provoked God, 40 years, they sinned, their bodies fell in the wilderness. So notice the, the flow of these questions. Because I can say, well, if we had Moses, if we had Moses, we, we would have something. And Hebrews is saying, really? Israel had Moses? Israel walked through the sea? Israel wandered the wilderness for 40 years and their shoes were fine. God showed them again and again this providential care, how he loved them. And what happened to their fate? They died in the wilderness. Now this exhortation and recollection that they died in the wilderness is telling us they they died as those who symbolize and show the pattern of curse. They are those who fail to attain the rest. And again, we'll get into, or or we've talked about how there's a uniqueness in terms of national Israel. But in terms of what he's recalling for us is a pattern of God's redemptive mercy and man's hardness to that redemptive mercy. So the author of Hebrews is laying out for us a significant solution to this. Be tender to your God. Understand our blind spots. Understand how we can be distracted. Understand how we can trust in so many other things to find contentment, to find security, uh, to find peace in this life apart from our Lord. And the author of Hebrews is saying, Don't look to those things. Don't be distracted by those things. Don't think that if I just have X, then I'll be happy. If I just get this, then finally I'll find contentment in this age. The author of Hebrews, in recalling this body of Psalms of 93 to 100, has another brilliance. Because there is an absolute assertion in Psalm 93 of the kingship of God. There's a frustration that's expressed in the midst of these Psalms and the ultimate climatic entrance into the heavenly rest of our God, as Psalm 100 communicates. But in the midst of this, there is a struggle, there is a temptation. And the thing we have to have drilled into ourselves and comprehend is as we are a wilderness people, we are under a curse. We are never going to find contentment or a utopia in this age. And I'm not saying that so that we go home and we're just depressed. But the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, If you're trying to find a true Sabbath happy place in this age, you're looking in the wrong place. It's not in this world. It's not in this place. We're broken. We're fallen. We need redemption. We are not going to find the ultimate happy place here. The happy place that we find is continuing on the sojourn, seeing our God, as the one who truly has redeemed. And if we're tempted to say, well, you know, Israel had this wilderness experience. We've covered that. They had Moses. They still fell away, as we find verses 16 through 18, where the author of Hebrews goes through the series of questions there. They had Moses. They still fell away. But verse 14 is very important for us to really contemplate on this, isn't it? Because if you've come to share in Christ, So we might say, well, they had the exodus experience. They saw the Red Sea. And that is an incredible experience, no doubt. Something I truly wish I could have seen myself as it must have been marvelous to watch the water split in two. But You see, his point is we're missing what Christ has done, aren't we? Because if we have come to share in Christ, he's a priest who has borne our sins as he's already started to lay out and making payment for our sins. As we start contemplating this, how did Christ do that? You know, in our day and age, we say, man, I walked through hell. I went through hell and back for this, right? You know, we can use that language. And the tragic thing, if you really think of that statement, we think of the dark times in history. And are some dark times in human history of people who have endured atrocious, terrible, inhumane things. And we could look at that and say, man, that must have been hell, right? That must have just been absolutely miserable in the sense where it seemed there was no love of God in the midst of that. But even in those dark times, no matter where we may think or where our minds may go in terms of history or our own lives, that's still not hell. And when you think about this, how gracious God is, we will never endure the fullness of hell. As we're in Christ, we will never endure the fullness of hell. This will always be theoretical. I'd argue even when we're in glory, we we still will not fully comprehend the fullness of hell. But do you know who does? Christ Jesus. He's the one who truly went through hell and back. The one who truly passed through the depths of hell itself and emerged triumphant. So when you look at the Red Sea crossing in a pattern of what that is painting, that is painting very much a passageway through hell itself and being guided and shepherded by God and not having the waters overwhelm you or swallow you or put you into the realm of Sheol, the place of the dead. Israel passed through the sea on dry land, patterning, showing, demonstrating what Christ ultimately does. You see, for Israel, truly to go through what Christ experienced, it would mean that they'd have to be swallowed by the waters, endure the fullness of hell, and then God plucking them out of there and putting them in dry land. But this is what Christ has done in our place. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, when we are tempted to say, well, Christ isn't enough, how do I know my God really knows this struggle? How do I know that God really is God and can truly redeem? How do I know that I'm not beyond the realm of redemption? Right here. The author of Hebrews tells us in verse 14, we have come to share in Christ Jesus. Let us have that as our anchor point as we're going through this age. Let us not demand that God prove himself. Let us not continually ask God to show himself again and again and again, but to truly believe. Fall on our knees before his gracious throne in a cross-like posture of humility, falling before his throne of grace and recognizing you have made me worthy. You will bring me to the place of Psalm 100. You are the God who is shepherding and leading may i follow you in the confidence of the redemption that is mine and so when we ask that question of isn't this just an israelite problem isn't this something where we can say what's really the threat that we face what's really the fundamental problem Well, the author of hebrews is not lie to us he says you're in the wilderness it's a time of testing it's not to say every day is going to be miserable it's not going to say every day is necessarily a day of suffering and misery We're going to have different seasons in life. The author of Hebrews is saying, don't rely so much on yourself as to think you don't need God. And don't allow yourself to be in a place where you become so discouraged that you think Christ really cannot pull you through this particular time. The place where we need to be left is not just the pattern of the exodus of the Red Sea crossing. That would be having our confidence just in the prototype. But to understand the reality of that, what Christ really did, he did more than merely pass through the Red Sea and escape. He endured hell in our place. And so when we cry out to our perfect priest, when we hold fast to our confidence in him, we have to believe he's interceding for us not in a model of the temple, not in a model of, of the most holy place, not the place where the high priest would enter once a year, but he is our glorious apostle sent by God, the glorious high priest who continually dwells in the presence of God in the most holy place, the reality, interceding for our behalf as the only one who has truly passed through hell and emerged unscathed. Let us hold fast our confidence. Let us sojourn as a people set apart unto this great high priest. And let us believe that as his power is within us, we will not fall dead in the wilderness. Let us hold fast to our confidence. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to our podcast. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing church that seeks to cultivate community around our Savior. If you desire to learn more about Christianity, please join us for worship each Sunday at 10 in the morning or 6 in the evening. You can do this in person or on our live stream. You can also utilize our archived sermon series on our website, urcbelgrade.com or subscribe to our current sermon series through Most Common Podcatchers. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you. Thank mm-hmm. you.